0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: Welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast. This is episode 365, recording on Thursday, March 26th. And um, depending on where you are and when your, your quarantine clock started, um, you could be just starting. Uh, or really a couple weeks into it, I think. I think. I think my where we are started on the early side for what we started to see in terms of shutdowns in schools. So we're approaching two weeks in um, on on my side. So here we are. Yeah.
2: yeah, we are at two weeks in. I think today right. in my household uh, we started before official things were said mm-hmm. in Virginia. Right. Because. Um, seemed like the thing to do. Uh, So we'll be, yeah, about two and a half weeks in by the time this airs.
1: I'm guessing now that we're 25% into this is kind of my guess. That's kind of where I'm, uh, that's my, the fat, the fat middle of my probability curve (laughs) is says we're 25% of the way in. So I'm looking another six weeks or so, but I could be wrong about that.
2: I think that's probably a good guess, mm-hmm. given that I know absolutely nothing more than you or anyone else right. knows about it. <laughs> but that it feels true, at least. Mm-hmm. I was telling you yesterday that Virginia's governor earlier this week, you know, gave the order to cancel school for the rest of the year, the rest of the school year, and shut down non essential businesses. And for me, that was a relief. Like, just ha- that helped a. A switch flip of like one less thing was uncertain. Uh, So I feel like I'm settling into the quarantine life. My partner is working from home full time now. We're Mm. navigating that. It's okay. Everybody's figuring things out. I feel like we're into the figure it out and live in it space. And I can can do that a lot better than just wondering what's going to happen.
1: Yeah. And when I say into it, it's not going to be like um, the flip switch is we're all back to completely normal. Like there's right. going to be local, there're going to be hot spots and warm spots, and yeah. you know I wouldn't anticipate
2: gradual
1: there being you know giant sporting events in six weeks. I think that's you know I think that's going to be the one thing that's going to be the hardest to understand is when can the large group gathering sorts of things happening? It'll kind of be in reverse order. The first things to get shut down will be the last things to come online. I think back on the other side and it was so mm-hmm. obvious that giant conventions and sporting events and groups very large groups um that will be the last thing to come back i don't know when that will be but i'm guessing that will feel differently in 6 weeks now does that mean schools will be in session there's some practical reasons that maybe here would you come back for 2 weeks of school maybe Are you sending, it's hard to know like what you would really do um you know when will restaurants open i, I that's what I was, I was trying to think about this last night like what will be the if I could pick one thing, just in isolation, to flip mm. back on, um, what would it be? And it's, it's a little hard to say, I have to say. I mean, schools, oh. from a life point of view, that, that would be easy. <laughs> but from a feeling different about things, I do feel... Like, again, I'm in Portland, and I'm a part of Portland when there's a lot of bars and restaurants, and I was out walking yesterday, and they're, like, putting plywood over the windows like a hurricane, riots. I mean, I understand why they're doing it, because they can't mm. have people come in and check, and they don't know what's going to happen, but there's a part of the... That, that's the most apocalyptic feeling I've had in a long time since I was in New York after September 11th of walking down... You know, it's 5 o'clock on a, on a Wednesday night where, you know, people should be going out and whatever. It's a relatively nice afternoon and there's no one and everything's boarded up and it felt really weird. So from a feeling weird point of view, the coffee shops opening up would be a huge difference psychologically even though it wouldn't really mm. matter in, in, a, in a different way. Yeah,
2: I have not had that experience right. yet, um I think for me it would be like uh, last night I was thinking like, oh, remember concerts, yeah,
1: concerts <laughs> you know <laughs> might be a while for that one,
2: yeah, right. um, I think live music, the thing I really want to be able to do is buy a plane ticket somewhere and feel confident that I'm going to get to go to the place
1: yeah, I don't know when that's gonna happen. I mean some of that might I don't be either. some of that might be there'll be flights that you can take the question will be, are you feel comfortable taking them and I know your tolerance yeah. is relatively high for risk in general but you that'll be a real um moment of truth right when you actually yeah. can go to Switzerland but like wait a minute do I do I want to do we feel good about it
2: Right yeah the math is really different because you know. it's not just about my risk tolerance now you know right. it's about like what does my risk tolerance do to impact the people mm. around me so I'm behaving much more conservatively because of what well, I think the moral imperative to do so yeah my behavior is much more conservative right now than it typically is because of the moral imperative to do so where the question right of like when to get on a plane or when to go to a concert um when those things start becoming available when even do you have 20 people over for something i mean first i have to find 20 people that i like (laughs) but (laughs) but like like if i do that when would i feel comfortable having them all over i think that's a great that's a great
1: point it's like when will you feel comfortable having even people you would normally have over over because right? um, yeah, we're not yeah, doing I mean, that. We're not doing that ourselves at
2: all. Right. It's not just hurling myself off the bridge to mm-hmm. go bungee jumping. It's a question of other people's safety, too. And that, that collective decision-making, I think, is going to be really interesting to navigate and see how it happens.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get into the, the relevant topical matter here in a minute. <laughs> but first, let's take a, a sponsor break.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton & Company, Incorporated. So Negative Space by Gillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel in a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out negative space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to WW Norton and company incorporated for sponsoring this episode. This episode is sponsored by the one that got away with murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing. Even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show.
1: Okay, well, I think, um, you know, not to be all fluxier than now for other industries, but book publishing, I, I think it's interesting because... It's fluxier than maybe some of the other industry because it's not completely shut down. Interestingly, like mm-hmm. I'm not sure the restaurant industry is very interesting right now because it's just sort of locked down. What's going to look like on the other side is different. You know, bars, restaurants, and sporting events—it just ain't happening. So there's not a lot to talk about. Um, but on the book side, the uh, heterogeneity of impact is such that there's a lot of there's a lot of moving pieces that aren't, aren't moving. In um, lockstep. And I guess one, the, the best example of that is uh, what print sales did last week. So, weirdly, and I'm not sure I would have guessed this, but after reading this publisher's weekly article, as always, link in the show notes, slash listen, you can navigate there. Print unit sales held steady last week. How, mu- how big of a surprise, if that's a surprise at all, is that to you?
2: I. I don't know. Like, yeah. it's interesting because they fell ten percent between March seventh and fourteenth, and then they held steady from that ten percent drop last week. Um, I believe it, I guess, because people were still last week rolling into their quarantine periods and figuring out what am I going to do with myself while I'm sitting down. Um, so I, I believe people, you know, stocking up on books, and there is something. I'm I'm seeing. And hearing a, like, resurgence of the talk about, like, how it's comforting to hold and read a print book in a moment like this. But also, we are in front of screens so Mm. much right now with so much, there's so much news. Or I personally, like, I'm feeling personally attacked by the screen time report on my iPhone (laughs) every (sighs) week right now. Like, there's something appealing about reading something away from a screen especially right yeah. now so i i totally get that and i think last week was like one of the big surges of the independent bookstores that have been able to stay open in some capacity were really like indies were doing a great job getting the word out last week about like here's how you can order from us we're doing curbside pickup you know listeners mm. of this show heard uh, josh christie of print in maine talk about and what they were doing and shipping uh, the shipping options that were available for online orders. So I think that was happening and it was also, um, well I guess Amazon had already started deprioritizing print books um, by yeah we'll talk about that a little more not, in a minute yeah I'm not shocked I think early in a moment like this people sort of do a panic buy of the things that give them comfort yeah. and then once we settle into it it's like well this is a time of a lot of economic uncertainty and luxury items like books might be one of the things that come off of people's personal budgets mm-hmm. first but I totally get the the giant stock up plus like library hold. libraries are closed in most places the eBay book holds list is getting bananas for most libraries. So I think people were just like, give me some print books.
1: The Libby hold situation is shocking. (laughs) I have to say, (laughs) it really is. Like, good luck. I have
2: not even tried.
1: (laughs) Good luck getting your top hundred draft picks of stuff you're looking to read at this particular moment. I think it's kind of a, it's almost like a used bookstore mentality you need to go into Libby right now with is, don't go looking for anything specific, but be open to mm. discovering something or maybe something you had forgotten about or hadn't tried. But if you're yeah. actually looking for something particular, uh, you're going to be disappointed right now. Um, let's just say all the Minecraft books I know. I may have someone in my house that likes to do a <laughs> lot of Minecraft. You got, you're, you're deep down the back list of, of Minecraft yeah. titles at this point. Yeah,
2: I'm personally on a mission to read all the things that have piled up in my office that I've been holding on to for years, like hoping I could get to them at some point. Yeah. Um, The stuff that was like, I'm going to read this someday. I know I'm going to be interested in it. And I just hadn't gotten there. Um, But you mentioning used books makes me want to shout out, I have seen uh, one of our local bookstores, Chop Suey, is doing online orders and local delivery. And their Instagram has been filled lately with great used book Hmm. highlights, which is they're the only store that I've seen do it. This is probably because I don't follow a lot of used bookstores um, on the internet, but they did a whole run yesterday of like, here are a bunch of plays that we got in, and they were all like two fifty, mm. and they're pr- they were putting the prices in the story with the t- with the um, book covers. I was like that is genius because mm. it's all it also feels a lot easier, I think, to be like, I will buy Death of a Salesman for two fifty or a used copy of this novel for five bucks than looking at the you know sticker price of a brand new hardcover.
1: Right. Uh, I want to drill down just a little more detail of the, the print mm. stats because, like I said, it's, it's um, lumpy uh, in what's up and what's down. I mean, not surprisingly, juvenile nonfiction, you know, school replacement uh, <laughs> books, um, mm-hmm. juvenile fiction up 186%. Games, activities, and hobbies rose 117%. Mm-hmm. Top titles, my first learn-to-write workbook, workbook and paint-by-stickers. Adult fiction <laughs> up 26%. In the suspense thriller segment, so I guess we're just doubling down on being anxious, <laughs> 17% improvement in the science fiction genre.
2: Yeah, we had several folks at Book who said the only thing they can read it right now are thrillers.
1: Yeah, interesting. Um, the, the, the Losers uh, Travel, not surprisingly, down 46%. Business Economics, down 40%. I guess I'm a little surprised by that. Um, hmm. Again, this is anecdata in the extreme, but I've gone the other way. <laughs> in my business in economics reading, I thought people might be like looking for historical precedents or how to deal or whatever, but mm-hmm. maybe you're just not, you're not businessing. So let's not yeah. business book it.
2: I mean, spreadsheets as a coping mechanism is a, you know, that's a small slice of yeah. the world. Yeah, yeah. It's just our small slice. <laughs> uh, craft
1: Hobbies Antiques games jumped fifty-six percent and humor and humor was up thirty. Overall, unit sales of adult nonfiction were still down fifteen percent. Mm-hmm. Reminds you what a giant slice um, travel uh and business econ were. I'm surprised not to see uh cooking and cookbooks broken out here. I would expect that to be up as well, judging by what I'm seeing on my Instagram of people that I know, a lot of cooking going on and people Mm -hmm. seem to be trying out recipes, but maybe, maybe they have a, you know, um, uh, an extant library that they can draw on immediately where they don't need to go buy something else. Whereas if you're trying to replace, I guess, your entire kid's education, you got some material needs on your hands.
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot of free and relatively inexpensive resources online yeah, for cooking that's a great also point. like i yeah i love a cookbook um but i will say like since we're Talking about these things, I'm just going to shout out a couple sure, resources for folks. Um, Milk Street is an is a cooking school that has an online component, a really robust online component. It was founded by Christopher Kimball after he left America's Test Kitchen, um, and they have made all of their online cooking classes free through April 30th. Um, there's an art of improv cooking one that looks particularly good for like figuring out what the heck to do with these random ingredients from your that are left over from your last run to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a baking one that I've started, there's like video components and they come with a ton of really great looking mm. recipes. So that's, um, it's totally free through the end of April. Um, and the New York times cooking website, which is cooking.newyorktimes.com um, does require a special, yeah. like a separate subscription to be able to save recipes to it. I think it's like $40 a year total. I have found it to be well, worth it. Um, and there's just a ton of great resources. and they're doing a good job gathering recipes and content with the awareness that, like everyone is stuck in their houses mm-hmm. and trying to cook things that are healthy and comforting and probably relatively easy. Um, so if you're looking for ideas, I would go there or pick up an Allison Roman cookbook and be on your merry way.
1: yeah, um, that's that makes a lot of sense that you know you, you can get recipes in a lot of different places. You might have extant yeah. sources. You know, people, I think, buy a lot more cookbooks than I ever cook out of, and certainly the percentage mm-hmm. of recipes in the cookbooks people own. We don't have that many, and this is certainly true for us. That is is very small. So there's probably a lot of latent uh, recipes uh, available. Maybe <laughs> that'll go up over time. Uh, I don't know. I guess my guess, I guess my guess for what we're <laughs> going to see in print sales is that this is a bit of a balloon at the beginning. Um, how it holds up in five, six, eight weeks is going to be interesting. I, I wouldn't imagine mm-hmm. this kind of velocity for stay-at-home education proxies will continue. Um, I would guess the travel segment would continue to be down. Um, maybe the business and econ stuff turns around as people are working from home. I also think a lot of business books get bought, sold, read as people are traveling for work. Mm -hmm. um, And since that's down completely to almost zero, that that's going to fall down there. I'd be curious to see how, you know, fiction holds up, um, what new releases are doing. Um, There's a a lot to learn here. You know, kind of like with independent bookstores, I think they've seen a surge in awareness, people turning to them and wanting to support them. That's easy to do for a week or two. How much does that hold up? Over time, I mean, just as the, the proxy I'm using right now is bookshop.org sales. We talked last week, they had yeah. on their ticker about 34000 that they've raised uh, for independent... 34000 No, 34000 34000 oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, year-to-date, so that was jan- late January to mid-March. Over the last 10 days, that number's up $60,000. Um, so it's more than doubled in just last 10 days. So there's certainly a surge. Now, is that... Um, is that the new normal for a while? Is that going to fall out precipit- precipitously? Um, I will be f- curious to know. I'm guessing we're going to get some fatigue. The realities of people's financial situations become a little f- more brought to bear and subside. But will the ex- will the ongoing level be high, like meaningfully higher than the average level um, for this kind of thing? I- I'm not sure. Um, it might be affected to some degree by... Well, let's do a sponsor because we'll talk about the next wave of interesting things that's going on sort of behind the scenes um, a little bit.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Kalyan Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Kalyan Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Kalyan Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish golden age during a time of high stakes, political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Lucia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillen Sant'Angelo, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must-read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at leighbardugothefamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo, for sponsoring this episode.
1: I guess the other thing that's going to affect bookshop.org, independent bookstores, you know, um, Libby and so on and so forth is what the heck is going to happen with Amazon who yeah. uh, is getting slammed um, from demand and to the point that they need to prioritize things that they should prioritize. I think they're doing a relatively good job of like saying mm-hmm. these are the things that we need to, we need to make sure people are getting toilet paper and medicine and food and, you know, those kinds of necessities. Um, but books are either running out of stock, it looks like, or they're just saying, you know what, if you're ordering a particular book, uh, you're going to have to wait a few weeks. Um, My anecdote there is I tried to order Uncanny Valley, which we're going to talk about in a future episode, and the ship date was April 21st, and this was like six days ago I tried this. Um, I went and ordered it someplace else uh, since then, and it should get to me well in good time, but an uncharted territory for the Amazon that we know to see that kind of... Delay in book shipping, that's where they started. Um, at some point, will it be going back to normal? Will it get worse? And how will that have a ripple effect or not on book sales writ large?
2: Well, and not to mention the fact that if the warehouses get shut down from a lot of the publishers or the big book distributors, availability of these new print books to any bookstore will be an issue. And there's the you know possibility of Barnes & Noble store closings and layoffs that we saw mm. sort of dangled last week. I haven't seen any follow-up on that actually occurring. But if big chain stores that are a significant part of print book sales aren't able to sell books, then the sales of print books are going to go down. Um, so there's a, just all along the supply chain <laughs> questions about what's going to happen. And
1: not for nothing, um, we're seeing the downstream effects of both trade issues with China but also China being ahead of the curve in terms of a timeline for their dealing with mm-hmm. COVID-19 that, that just getting to print books from China is hard right now. Um, irrespective of you know having a place to sell them here. Um, yeah, you're right. If, if If the wholesale distributors that aren't Amazon have a major supply problem because they're closed or they can't get the books, we're going to see the effect of there not being too many players in this field, right? Like there's, there's a pretty yeah, top-heavy yeah. risk. You only need a couple players to have a real problem and the whole thing is going to be um come crashing down.
2: And um, it's already started in the comics industry. Yes. Um we got news earlier this week that Diamond Comic Distributors, which is a big one, is no longer taking in new comics at its warehouse. Um, they have asked printers to not send them any more New products. They're the exclusive distributor of new releases from all of the direct market's biggest publishers like DC, Marvel, Dark Horse, Image, Dynamite, Boom Studios, and IDW Publishing, as well as a lot of smaller publishers. So they control a really significant portion of the direct market um, for comic books. And that means like little comic book stores are not yeah. going to be getting um, their. Books to sell to their customers. So, this is already happening in a corner of the industry. And given like Baker and Taylor, you know, shut down a lot of their operations last year, Ingram is kind of it. Yeah. Uh, So, if Ingram made the same decision to stop receiving new books from publishers, the indies are not completely screwed. Sometimes they get things directly from publishers, but indies are going to be like really meaningfully impacted by that lack of availability. And I would think we'd see it from Barnes and Noble also.
1: And I mean, the people that we know that cover comics for us worry that this is sort of a extinction level event for possibly Mm -hmm. local comic shops, because it's already, you know, it's an accelerant on a trend that's been going on for a while with the rise of digital comics, especially um, that is there going to be a market for print comics at all. And this you know, people getting a taste of not doing it this way, getting turned on to comicsology, digital comics. You know, there's a bunch of different services that you can get your comics from. Is this going to be the thing that finally finishes it off or not? Because for all intents and purposes, Diamond represents the print comics industry, the floppy market, uh, which is the <laughs> uh, distressing term um for that it's not the same Margaret for Viagra weirdly but um it's uh it's it's a really it's a really concentrated and weak market so it's very it's very prone mm. to some sort of uh problem really wiping it
2: well. out well the floppy market is officially the show title today. <laughs> like, there's there no three funnier words are going to be spoken in the next half hour.
1: Uh, great, that's what I. That's <laughs> what I. That's really what I wanted to have happen here. Um, so we're <laughs> going to follow that as well. The other thing we haven't talked about on the the print sale side is um, library markets. What's going mm-hmm. to happen the library buys? When at Guy Geek Gonzalez on, he was we were chatting about you know, what percent of publishing dollars is funded by library budgets around the country, schools, public, and so on. I'm guessing they ain't buying right now. You know, they're not in the office. I may, I, maybe they're working remotely and they're still making buys for the future, but they're certainly not, maybe they've already bought titles that they would be coming out in May for libraries that are closed. It'd be fascinating to know what the delay of effect will be on libraries and the library ecosystem, because you know, ALA got canceled, you know, basically any book related conference isn't going to happen. And a lot of that activity, Around library marketing happens there. Orders happen there. Library acquisitions um, staff members for libraries go to those things to decide what to buy. Um, and I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if that market was you know for all intents and purposes seized up, um, and how that will affect things too. And what we're hearing behind the scenes, like we're, our own corner of the world, we we have our own effects. And what we're seeing a lot of on the advertising side is the April, May, June titles getting bumped into the fall is sort of what's happening right now. Some to July and August, which is normally a fallow period, so there's a little opportunity there, um, especially if you think there might be sort of a um, school's out for summer vibe that happens in America in July and August, where people are excited to be out and buy stuff, um, and they're not necessarily going away to wherever uh, to get away. They might they might just be... They might feel good about staying at home and, and patronizing their local establishments and points of recreation, that is going to—where when where is the hammer going to fall, I guess, is kind of what we're wondering. Is it going to be mm-hmm. a big delay, and it's going to be smoothed out over the next 24 months? Will there be some, some future gap that's hard to anticipate right now? Is it a spring next year, summer next year? Um, where is the interruption going to happen? And maybe it's going to be right now, and we're going to have the rest of the next 24 months look as normal— which I guess would be the best case scenario, Rebecca. Is that right? Is just we sort of swallow yeah, the I'm, pill now and and get on with it if we can.
2: I I think so. I mean that would be my preference. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. But I think that um, just in terms of our industry, but larger U.S. and world economy, the sooner things stabilize yep. and begin to recover, the better for everyone, sort of all along. The watchtower, what we're what we are seeing, you're right, is delays of things that we're supposed to publish very soon um into publishing in the summer and the fall. And then things that were slated for like May, we're hearing the reason for this delay is not like because, publishing went on lockdown and we have to get our stuff together. It's the books aren't ready yet Mm. because they're, a lot of them are printed in China and either they're not done or we can't get them. Uh, And hopefully, you know, as the rest of the world, including the United States, dear God, get our stuff together um, and can start to recover from this. I hope, you know, to see the industry begin to return to that normal functioning and not have too many disruptions like publishing will release their winter 2021 catalogs very soon. Very soon. <laughs> They've already planned them. Uh, and I can imagine that there's a bunch of conversations going on in publishing offices right now or in virtual publishing offices, but really not wanting to delay those yeah. things any further and like create any more of a bottleneck. So hopefully we'll see, you know things pick back up in the summer when it is, like you were saying, normally relatively quiet and then go back to some business as usual for the fall and the next year. I I do think that would be ideal. Have an interruption, get through it, move on. Yeah.
1: And, and, you know, you know, people are talking in the wider sense now about, some desire to sort of say, you know, mid Easter, right? Let's let's try to open things up by, by Easter, which seems foolhardy. But you can see what people are thinking is like, maybe it won't be so bad. We'll have been locked down a lot of the country for a few weeks. You know, we could probably can get back to it rather than do the painful, deep, uh, and shortcut, right? Rather than have the thing mm-hmm. linger on for a while longer. Um, there, I think there's a magical slash wishful thinking about oh, uh, for sure. what's going to happen, and I might be guilty of it too, even thinking you know, that 90 days of lockdown would be enough to get us through the worst of it. Um, Let's do one more sponsor break, and we'll have to do a little litany of sadness about, you know, things going on uh, as well.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888-LOVE and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my...
1: Um, I guess there's no, you know, just material effects on the book selling publishing industry. We just run through a few of these. Scholastic is the first of the major publishers to announce temporary staff reductions. Um, I wondered about this because Scholastic, Mm -hmm. more than the rest of the publishing industry, at least the big ones, I guess McGraw Hill, but we don't really talk with them, educational publishers, uh, is very exposed to the education market, school book fairs, book clubs, you know, l- school libraries. Not surprising that they're a bellwether. Um, and so they hope to have people come back, but quite a few people get laid off there. Skyhorse Publishing, a smaller publisher, also releasing a third of staff. Also, um, Strand, a little late, later than I might have thought, laid off 188 booksellers um, after New York ordered a lockdown of non essential businesses. Um, it looks like those are the three big stories from this week about, you know, staff reductions. You know, we we also we talked earlier about a concentration in the forms of like monopolies or near monopolies or not a lot of players. We haven't talked too much about the concentration of the publishing workforce in New York and New York having a horrible horrible heartbreaking time of it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't look to get any better. Um, We know that much of the publishing industry in New York, if not all of it now, had had moved to work remotely. How sustainable that is, if it gets a lot worse in New York, people, you know, I know people in my own life, my friends who have left the city, if they can, to go to other places for the duration. um, Hard to anticipate what kind of disruption it will have to publishing's workings, even under this situation, even if New York wasn't a new hotspot, even if it was just sort of like, I don't know, pick a random city. Uh, Denver, whatever. De- I'm sure it's not great in Denver, but it's not as bad as going on to New York. And you do wonder how much of that will um, slow even the meager wheels turning in this situation in New York. Um, stay safe out there. Stay home. Wash your hands. Take care of yourselves, New Yorkers. Um, I'm thinking of you for sure. Um, let's see, where do you want to go after that Um uh, depressing part of the show there's that should we go to people <laughs> reacting and things that are maybe interesting let's do that <laughs> yeah. yeah let's
2: do some nice things right. um, one of the nice things I saw this week is that libraries want to turn their bookmobiles into free Wi-Fi trucks during the coronavirus life uh, mm. lockdown The FCC has said it's okay for libraries to leave their hotspots on um, but they have ignored so far it's a question about whether they can extend that broadband access to the wider, community. Mm. Um, Of course, internet access is one of the, I think, one of the many things that we're seeing in terms of um, real privilege gaps um, and accessibility in this moment where it's very clear who is able to stay safe by working from home and who has to either continue to take risks if they want to go to work and continue to be paid um, or doesn't have the option to work from home because of a lack of access to the internet at home. Not to mention that one of the major disruptions to schooling is that not all kids have access to the internet at home. And so just taking school online for the rest of the year is not something that public schools have had the option to do. I do have a a couple of friends whose kids are in private schools that Mm -hmm. have made that choice. Um, And that's like an, an extremely privileged place to be coming from. So I would like to applaud these uh, Librarians—it's always the librarians um, from the American Library Association that floated this solution in a letter to the FCC last week. There are sixteen thousand five hundred and fifty-seven public libraries. Why can't they be turned into free communal hotspots that extend access around their broader communities, especially using bookmobiles as as ways to do that? So if they can find a way to keep you know appropriate social distance and mm-hmm. provide. Wi-Fi. May your efforts succeed. Yeah, that's a good that use cool. for that
1: of repurposing um, what you've got available there too. I've heard I've heard tale of libraries have left their Wi-Fi on so that if you're around the library building, um, you can still use that. In in Portland, that's especially important for the unhoused population, um, who a lot of whom seem to have. Phones or iPhones or something that can at least connect to Wi-Fi, even if they, if they don't have cellular service, but they can go next to a library building. And I've seen some coffee shops and other restaurants leave their Wi-Fis on and turn off their passwords so that people can use Wi-Fi if they need it. Um, seems like a reasonable um, level of generosity to, to be able to offer if you're not actually occupying... Um, the building there. we got a lot of questions online, even among our own contributing core, Mm -hmm. about the legality of doing read-alouds of copyrighted material. The short answer is probably a lot of what people are doing is violation of copyright code. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, if anyone's going to enforce that, that's a second, you know, I'm not sure, that um, whoever (laughs) owns the Chronicles of Narnia... IP <laughs> is going to come after t- librarians in Instagram reading it aloud, though it's with will, well would be well within their right, is my understanding. Though we've seen some publishers IP owners give blanket license. To do it, um, they're trying to do things like teachers and librarians. I don't know how you enforce that. I guess it's maybe an honor system, which mm. is reasonable at this point. I don't know how that's a Fourth Amendment problem. Like, how can you let, if you're, a t- you, you can violate the, co- anyway, it's weird. Not a blanket license. I don't know what the legality of it, but the spirit of it is if you're using it as a librarian or teacher to do a live read, and the signal, I mean, the top of the pyramid here is JKR herself, who is allowing read alouds. Um, of Harry Potter, which is probably you know outside of Dr. Seuss, probably the number one read aloud selection um, that people would go to. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes. You can read the words and decide whether or not you're comfortable doing that. I think it's probably going to be okay, um, but it's it's Harry, right? Because like, just as an example, say I want to do a read aloud of Harry Potter for my f- my kids' friends on Instagram. Well, I'm not making any money of it, but Instagram is right because they're showing ads against people violating. So it's it's very, it's very hairy of a situation. It's not as simple as just go do whatever because we've also talked about on the show before that if you don't enforce copyright, then you it's harder to enforce it later because then people say, well, you weren't enforcing it for them. Why are you enforcing it for me? Um, I think this is a use it and don't abuse it, and think of it as temporary. Um, but I'm, yeah. I'm glad to see it at this point. But a very sticky issue. Um, mm-hmm. The internet's hard enough with copyright to, to, to handle. And this situation where people are wanting to do something that seems reasonable, um, but you probably shouldn't, for example, if you have a YouTube channel that you have ads on, read the entire book of Sorcerer's Stone aloud. <laughs> right? No, I mean, I'm serious. Like they're, they're, Yeah,
2: probably not. There are ways in which you that. should be
1: cognizant of what you're actually doing. Yeah, um, well,
2: yeah. There's when we do cool sort of extra bonusy things for our staff. One of our colleagues, Clint, likes to say, this is a nice thing. Yes. Let's make sure we get to keep having nice things. That's right. And I feel like that applies here, that a lot of publishers, I think we talked about some of them last week, have established open license policies for teachers and librarians. Mm-hmm. And it's cool to see that occurring. It's also, as you're saying, really hard to regulate. And I'm encouraged by all of the like very generous and interesting and creative things that people yeah. are doing online for each other right now. I'm glad to see publishers also supporting how however they can to allow that to happen. So hopefully, people just like be cool, people. Be cool, you know. Yeah. Just be cool. This is not a moment to capitalize no. on on any of this stuff. We're all trying to do nice things for each other. Let's keep having nice things. And
1: 99% of the people are doing, and without even thinking about, you know, they're <laughs> just course. trying to do a nice thing. But um, yeah. you might you might think about it, right? Um, yeah. I guess also we saw Rick Riordan said, it's, you're free to use mine, Candlewick, either the complete library or selection thereof. I'm sure if you just Google for Candlewick um, or Rick Riordan, you can find the, the mm-hmm. special language. If you know of others... Um I'd like to hear about those as well. We can we can pass those along yeah. later on down um. the road.
2: Also, speaking of Harry Potter, the folks at the Harry Potter Alliance, which have run LeakyCon, they are doing an online event called Small Things Con. Uh, The HPA community, they say, is full of joy, enthusiasm, creativity, and small actions that create big impact. And that's what the Small Things Con is. Um, There's a lot of programming. I saw a couple days ago was the last time I looked, but they've come up with a lot of fun things that can be done. It's free. You sign up to receive your official digital ticket and updates about their upcoming upcoming events so we will have that link in the show notes um you can make a donation as well if that's something that you are interested and able to do but it is a free event and the harry potter alliance is just great people Mm -hmm. they do a lot of great work um not surprised to see them roll out with a creative community focused thing um and i think it's gonna be fun to watch how that happens so if you're looking for some connection right now you can try that out
1: let's get out um, I, this was a November link. Did we never talk about this, this Native American, Native-focused imprint Oh, you Harper know Collins? what?
2: It just, ca- it just came across my desk this week, yeah. and I didn't even realize it was from November.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I don't think we ever talked about it. So let's <laughs> jump out for him minute, because HarperCollins is launching um, a Native-focused imprint um, helmed by author Cynthia Leidich. Is that how you say that? I've read her name a million. Cynthia Leidich-Smith who mm-hmm. is a member of the Muskegee Creek nation and Rosemary Brosden, who is a VP and editorial director at Harper Collins Children's. So this was November. We maybe missed it in the fall. Um, doing it, You know what it was? It came out while we're doing uh, recommendations, So we don't, we oh, generally yeah, skip right, news. Thanksgiving. So as good a time as any to, rem- to remind people or let them know that this was happening because it's a winter 2021. So we haven't missed the launch of it. Now I hope they're not um, adversely impacted in a way that's material. I'm sure they'll be in- impacted in some way. Um, and so this is something really to look for. And the kind of thing that it's called heart drum and the yes. kind of thing that um, gets announced. And then there's a fallow period while we wait for the books to come out and the books will come out. And sometimes it doesn't get the attention when the book come out as the announcement would. Um, so a good time to talk about that. These are the kinds of things, you know, really, when we started the pod, 6 years ago we really didn't see anything we didn't have anything like this where it's a partnership between um a content person who's from the community being represented and someone in traditional publishing uh, working together um you know the the goal here it says devoted to publishing books by native creators and introduce young native protagonists and showcase the present and future of indian country um, really really glad to see this happening and I'm sorry we missed it when it came out, um, but worth doing even now, four months, five months after the fact. So we're going to keep an eye on that um, to step out of the um, viral nature of our current existence. <laughs> you know, there though, though will be a time in which, you know, I'm glad this isn't launching um, summer 2020 uh, for yeah. sure. Then really going to get swallowed up. Rebecca, anything else we wanted to hit today?
2: No, I think, you know. Stay safe.
1: Stay safe. Yes.
2: Yeah, Wash safe. your hands.
1: Yeah. I know if you, as as your listeners out there are living their reading lives in this new situation, this new um, condition we find ourselves in, if you encounter some weird corner of it, some unexpected complication, oh, yeah, let us know. Let us know because these things aren't evenly distributed. Um, and we might be missing things that are interesting and other people would like to know about. So podcast at bookriot.com.
2: I will certainly be welcoming any and all comers for hero of the week. Contentors. Yeah. Right. And we're going to need those folks.
1: Yeah, we are going to need those. Um, and probably things, people are doing stuff out there. We haven't heard about yet. So as soon as you hear yeah, about someone, yes. let us know, uh, Rebecca, we will talk to you next week.
2: Yep. Have a good
1: one.